you used the word control and you did it in context of enabling the individual, the employee to have a sense of control in where they're going, you know, that I can help shape my destiny, so to speak, if I can be dramatic. Um, but that's so critical. And a lot of the work I do with organizations is how do you foster a sense of control in your employees that change is not being done to them, but with them, they, they may not have choice in the direction we're going that's set by strategy or set by external events, but that there's a role I can play in how that's going to shape up. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this edition of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a Quantivos coach. And our guest today is Jeff Skipper. Jeff is an international change leadership consultant. He's also author of Dancing with Disruption, Leading Dramatic Change During Global Transformation. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. I love the dancing metaphor. Let's start right there. All right. Because so many people see change as disruption and they don't recognize that there is a pattern to how we dance through it, how we move through it. And, and it's not the same step every time. It's not the same music every time, if you will. And there is a pattern and a flow, and, and you really outline that in this book through your 12 strategies. So the first thing I want to say that's really important for our listeners is those strategies are scalable. You wrote this book around the global COVID pandemic. Right. Those strategies are scalable to your global corporate transformation. They're scalable to your entrepreneurial small business, they're scalable to your personal change as well. Absolutely. Absolutely true. We're not going to have time to cover all 12. <laughs> no. Uh, but I do want to start with strategy one, because as you point out, it's one that is actually missed so often when change of any sort is initiated. And you label strategy one, start at the end, set a clear goal. And you begin with a quote from Henry Kissinger. I often reference a similar message from Seneca, who was a, a Stoic, who said, if one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favorable. Yeah, right. Perfect. Same idea. Absolutely. Why is setting a clear goal so important. Now, what does that really mean? Sure. Um, well, first, let me address the, the first question you're asking, and this really is psychological. Um, so if we start on a destination, start out on a journey, and we really don't know where we're going. That's unsettling for most people, not everyone. Some are happy to be just wandering, but for most people, it's unsettling. I want to know where we're going, where we're going to end up. And so when we 
launch a change to get to your bigger question, uh, folks want to know the details, the what, the how, the when, how are we going to get there? What are the details? Because it allows them to assess, does this involve relate to me? Once I can make the connection between where you want to go and that I have to do something different, now I'm really paying attention. Because if I'm not seeing that connection, if I don't see myself in that picture you're painting of the end state, I'm not really motivated to jump in. Maybe I'm going to wait a bit to see if this becomes clearer. And so folks, stand back a bit and, and hesitate. So we got to paint that clear picture of what the future is, answer those details around what this change is and what I need you to do to be part of it. And then I can answer the why we're doing this and why it's important for you. What are those benefits? But I got to have that clear goal. It's also important in terms of motivation. Just think about when people get on board for stuff. If it's not a great looking future, if you haven't painted that very well, or you only use numbers and talked about increasing market share or we're saving money, it's not that inspiring. So the clarity of the goal is about painting a vivid picture because we also know it's really emotions that move people. So while I can tell you, Brian, we're going to do this podcast. And I think by me, me doing my best, I can raise your audience level by 10%. That's something. But if instead I talk about when we do this, I can envision how I'm going to start changing some of the lives of your listeners in a really dramatic, positive way. That gets people really going. I love the way you just painted that picture. <laughs> Thank you. And you talk about story several times through these strategies. And I do want to come back to that at a later point because you're right. Painting that picture, creating that story is so, so powerful. What else is important about setting that clear goal starting at the end for change leaders? I think another very important aspect is being honest around what's going to be involved. So as I like to say, every employee has a very strong BS meter. They know when you're you know, sugarcoating what it's going to be like. And then what happens in any great program? I don't care what you're trying to do to change the organization or change your people. Nothing ever goes completely according to plan. So there's pain in the journey. And so part of that goal clarity is being honest around, this isn't going to be all easy. Uh, we expect there's going to be challenges and then to reassure. But part of my role as a leader, part of our role as a leadership team is to be there for you and assure you're successful. That right there has, again, huge impact that I'm looking at this future going, oh, I'm not sure how we're going to do that. And, and, and I'm really fearful of what that might mean for me. But if you're going to stand by me from point A to point B, that makes me feel a bit more assured that maybe we can just get this done. I want to call on an example from many decades ago. And Jeff, you're up in Canada. This was actually a Canadian bank I was working with. And they were really making a major change in their commercial banking operations. And what they ended up doing is the, communicating the message, talk about painting the picture. This is as if we are creating a new bank. And so we are going to approach it as if we are creating a new bank. Every job description is going to be different. If you are an employee of the current bank in good standing, you have the opportunity to move into the new bank. So rather than me waiting to see whether I'm going to get laid off, now I'm told 
I'm in control. They said, when you get the new job descriptions, you are also going to get a worksheet because from the top of the bank to the, the front lines, nobody is going to be fully skilled up for the jobs that this new bank requires. When you come in for your interview, bring the worksheet and it will help us know how we can support you to be successful in the new role. So going back again to what you were saying about, we're going to stand by you through this change. Recognizing, and, and for me, this was so way ahead of its time in terms of thinking about executing change because it was recognizing the person, recognizing disruption again, and recognizing the responsibility of the organization for people's success in moving through the change. But Brian, I want to highlight one word you said in there that was so important. You used the word control and you did it in context of enabling the individual, the employee to have a sense of control in where they're going, you know, that I can help shape my destiny, so to speak, if I can be dramatic. Um, but that's so critical. And a lot of the work I do with organizations is how do you foster a sense of control in your employees that change is not being done to them, but with them, they, they may not have choice in the direction we're going that's set by strategy or set by external events, but that there's a role I can play in how that's going to shape up. So if we come back to that concept of setting a clear goal, one uh, clarification I need to add is that you want to paint a picture, but in broad strokes. So that employees recognize I can help fill in the details. We don't know exactly what's happening down in that corner yet. We haven't figured it out yet, but we know with the engagement of our folks, because all of you bring a lot of knowledge to the table, you can help us articulate what that is. And man, that creates a sense of, okay, I can get it involved now. I can be part of this. And if I do that, chances are it's going to work better for me. I want to move on to strategy two which is identify all stakeholders, expand the circle. In this strategy, you discuss two basic groups, those impacted and enablers. I often use the term influencers. Yes, good. What is so important about enablers and bad coaching here? We're not coaching, but I'm asking you two questions at once. Um, what's so important about enablers and when do you want to get them on board? Well, I'll answer the second part first, and that's as early as possible. Um, but you'll be adding to the set of enablers all along the way. What's important about them? Um, the reality is with any change, like I said, there's going to be obstacles along the way. Um, we talk a lot about resistance. I'm sure we'll come back around to that. But people who look like they're resistant often aren't. They're just hesitating because they're not sure. Again, fear creeps in there. Um, but what a difference it makes when someone comes alongside or they look to a peer and that peer says, I've already dipped my toe in the water and the water's okay. Okay, then maybe I'll do that. There's a, an exercise I like to do when I'm speaking. Um, so I'm introduced, I get up on the stage and the first words are, can I have a volunteer? Now you can imagine how much of a response I get it's crickets, right? No one wants to step up. Eventually someone does. And when they come up, um, you say, great, thank you for volunteering. Here is, and you give them something for free. So it might be a copy of my book and an extra one for a friend. And they're oh, delighted to get something free and off you go. That was it. Then you ask the audience, may I have another volunteer? How many hands go up? Everyone. And so what's the difference? Well, 
someone I kind of know already went forward and um, they put their toe in the water. They, you know, there was no negative repercussion. They came away with something positive. Um, <clears throat> it proved that you are a nasty individual on the stage, right? All these things that where I can see someone else that's there to support me or demonstrate that I can be successful makes a big difference. And this is the role of enablers. During the pandemic, smart organizations took people from within the organization, not just leaders, but peers and said, hey, we know you're supportive of some of the changes that have to be made. Would you be available to your peers if they want to have a discussion around what this means for them? And many said, yes, very powerful. So yeah, critical strategy in, in uh, disruptive change. We're skipping ahead strategy four. Develop a change plan and you call it a tactical buffet. Lots of different options on that buffet. Just like a real buffet, different people have different tastes, different messages, different ways of messaging, reach different people and so forth. What is important about creating that tactical buffet? To me, the critical element is, and the reason it's a buffet is because buffets allow for flexibility, like you said, different tastes. But it's also, if I start with a certain appetizer, it may actually change what I want to have next. And this is how it goes when we actually put plans into effect. So I, I use that quote quite a bit of, you know, no plan survives first engagement. So as we begin rolling out a plan, so we start with our communications, we paint that picture, here's where we're going, and not everyone's reacting positively. I need to pull something else from the buffet that's going to suit that situation. So I need a wide variety of tactics that I believe will work to help move people forward. And I'm going to draw them to a greater or lesser extent based on how people are responding. So hence the idea of a buffet. We'll select as we go according to what we need in the situation. But I need a broad set of ideas to lean upon. And so this really, I think, plays back again to different stakeholders, different influencers. The reality that when we just assume that everybody is the same, it ain't going to work so good. No, that's a mistake. Right. So when I, I, I talk to you, Brian, around, you know, we, we talked about, I can expand your audience by, by 10%. And you might say, that's great. But if I'm talking to another individual who said, it's not really about having a big audience. It's more so about creating a sense of community. How will you help me do that? So by better understanding who my stakeholders are, they're different, uh, not only needs, but their desires, what they want to see. Then I tailored my message around what's going to be attractive and the way that I approach them. And again, Jeff, I think part of what's important in your message there is we're not changing the goal. We are changing how we approach that goal, how we move forward toward that goal based on the reality on the ground. Correct. That's exactly right. And so again, being in touch with the reality on the ground through those influencers, through your change agent network and or change practitioners, whatever means you use is so critical for that to happen. And, and it's not something we're going to dive into here, but I think it's important to say people who are representing that change, whether it be the, the local manager, whether it be the change practitioner, whether it be the CEO in the town hall, if we don't trust their word, we're not going to be successful moving forward. And you know, we talked about control. There's another C word I reference a lot and it's credibility. And that's, you know, it is a, another word for trust. Um, so 
I need to know what's your track record. Do I really feel like you've connected with me, um, that you understand what it's going to be like for me going through this change? But for me, I need to have that level of trust to be able to believe in you as a leader for the change um, for me to really get on board. Strategy five, lead the change, avoid divided loyalties. You discuss the fact in this strategy that what we know as we move through a change often changes. Now, we, we go into big change, and I mentioned to you that, that I had trained with Daryl Connor, um, who's really one of the pioneers in, in organizational change management. Daryl used to talk about the honeymoon period of change and what he called uninformed optimism. We go in not knowing what we don't know. And as we become aware of what we don't know, we don't necessarily know how to move through it. And, and so therein become some of the challenges. What, how, how do leaders have to navigate in order to avoid divided loyalties as the change itself has to change? Right. So I'm, with apologies for repeating, but again, being upfront around here's the pain that's going to be involved in the change. Part of that is also saying situation is going to change. We may have to shift our scope a little bit. Sometimes what can get folks um, on the other side of, uh, now I don't feel like I want to support this, is that change in scope means something they were expecting that they were really looking forward to no longer is on the table. Happens all the time. Um, so prefacing that at the front saying that could happen, just please stick with us. And then you're going to have to shift your messaging again. All right. Yep. That didn't go the way we anticipated being very transparent about the reasons why here's how it impacts that picture we painted that at the beginning. And then you're going to have to reorient the benefits for those individuals as well. Otherwise you can really lose momentum with folks. So yeah, it is again, that concept of tactical buffet because these shifts happen when we're in the middle of deployment, the situation changes and I'm going to have to need to shift. I'm going to have to shift my change strategy as a result of that as well. You also talk in this section, Jeff, about the fact that leaders make mistakes. Yes. So I think leaders need to own that because it makes them human. Most leadership guidance will talk about the importance of demonstrating vulnerability. And for someone to come up and say, made a mistake and this is how it came about. Here's what we're doing about it. There are going to be people that are disappointed that they're, they may be angry, but you give them the opportunity to come around and practice some forgiveness if you're honest about it and own it. The arrogance of saying, ah, well, it wasn't a big deal anyways. And you know, we don't really need that now. No one sees it that way. They see through that immediately as just being, again, a bunch of BS. So I think it needs to be that ownership. Um, one of the major problems we saw during the pandemic was things changed so often and leaders were forced to eat their own words. Happened so many times. The problem in the pandemic was it happened so often that it really did destroy credibility for some. They just never really recovered from that. And, um, you know, even though I talk about beware divided loyalties and you don't want to split the ownership of a change and who's leading it, sometimes the leader that's in front of the change needs to step aside because their credibility has been so damaged, people are not going to get behind them anymore. And someone else coming in can now pick things up and say, 
let me repaint the picture or paint a new picture and let's start moving in this direction. I mentioned Daryl Connor earlier. Many years ago, he presented at a, a meeting of a global partnership that was undertaking transformation and he gave sort of an introductory presentation, if you will, on the change journey and, and change management and so forth. And then he opened the floor to questions and this one partner, and it was pretty much all males as most partnerships were back then and many still are today. This one partner said, we're all type A's. We don't make mistakes and we, we have all the answers. What does that mean for this initiative? And Daryl basically said, good luck. Right. I was going to say you're screwed. It's the equivalent. <laughs> Jeff, again, I'm, I'm skipping ahead because of time, but I'm in strategy seven, communicate effectively. Too much data and not enough wisdom. And here is one of the places where you really dive into story. You say, you know, this is about making the change personal. Why the story have such an impact? Why not just give them the numbers? Let me tell you a story about that. So, so here it is. Um, several years ago, it was common for my wife and I to go to Mexico for a vacation. And then one year she said, you know, I was talking to a friend at work and she said her friend's neighbor's aunt's cousin went to Mexico, had a horrible experience. And not just like the food was bad. They actually felt that their safety was jeopardized and we will no longer go to Mexico for a vacation as a result of that. Now I could say to my wife, in reality, 99% of people who come back from Mexico say they had an amazing time and they felt safe, but based on the one story, we're not going. And that's the reality in, in, uh, in our organizations, the stories generate emotional response and emotion is what gets people to act. Numbers just aren't that inspiring. So stories matter. Um, when we're coming out of pandemic, I encourage leaders, think about all that your employees have accomplished or done during the last couple of years and write it down because you need to remind them at times of how they've been able to adapt rapidly. If you take one example from many organizations, how quickly did they figure out how to enable people to work from home, remote work, hybrid? matter of weeks, maybe, whereas typically IT projects are months and years, we can pivot very rapidly, but folks forget because of the pain associated with that time, I often remind them, how many of you started learning to cook something new? You did took up baking. Um, you learned how to do schooling for your kids at home. You learned how to use new technologies you hadn't done before. Uh, you started building relationships online that you hadn't had previously and on and on and on. And we, we would forget that because it was a painful time. But I remind them, you adapted so quickly, you picked up new stuff. We're actually very, very good at it. So reinforcing folks have these reserves, these skills that they can draw upon, set them up positive, positively for the next disruption, the next change that comes along. Stories touch head, heart, and gut. Numbers are all in the head. Right. And again, I think I said this earlier, I, I have not met many CEOs who get excited about the number alone. Strategy nine may be one of the more controversial, and you touched on the topic 
a, a little, little bit ago, you label this respond to resistance when coercion is the best option. Right. There's a colon in there, folks. Respond to resistance and, and kind of like in Brax, when coercion is the best option. Yeah, it is controversial. So Jeff, how can you say that? We can't coerce people to do things. You absolutely can. Uh, and there are many ways to do it. And sometimes it is the right thing to do. I'll give you the easiest example. So if I want to move people from technology A to technology B, if people are not feeling good about it, uh, maybe the new technology doesn't do everything they had hoped, and they're just darn good at using the old system. Well, I do want to try and convince you. That's number one. Let's look at what's new and see all the benefits in this and why I think you're going to adapt successfully. But still, folks are hesitant. I'm going to remind them. Old tech, we're pulling the plug. That is a form of coercion. You cannot go back. We're going to move you forward. And it's an important part of a change strategy. How can I remove alternatives so that folks are feeling some pressure to move forward? I always want to begin with trying to convince you, point out the benefits, make it in your best interest, um, appeal to your self-interest. But I also need to push sometimes. If I've got folks who are resistant and, and think of that on a, on a continuum, not everyone has their heels dug in and is saying, no way, I won't. Some are just fearful. But if they are really dug in, then I'm going to tell you, listen, I've talked you through the, the benefits. I've pointed out how we're going to make you successful, what we're providing in terms of support. If you can't support this, then I'm afraid we're going to need to look at other options. And I have no hesitation in saying to leaders, sometimes the answer is you need to terminate them. The problem is if you leave them in the organization, that kind of attitude begins to spread. Even if I'm not fully on board with that resistor, when they hesitate, maybe I should too. And if nothing is done about it, oh, there's no consequence. I guess it wasn't that important to actually embrace this change. So we have to be very active in helping people move along. In one of our early episodes of Conversations, I pointed out that in one way or another, everything is feedback. And as uh, I was listening to you, it, it recalled a, an experience many years ago where it was an automobile rental agency. I think it was the U.S. division that was doing a, undertaking a major transformational change in spent a lot of time, and it was actually when I was working uh, with Daryl Hunter, spent a lot of time preparing for a kickoff event with the leaders of the organization from across the country. And they all came into a country club out on Long Island. And we're sitting there having breakfast with the COO who really was heading up this initiative and talking about the messaging and so forth. And he suddenly, he leaned back, he said, I think the messaging is right. You're going to have to deliver it because the only time I could get a tea time was when I was supposed to be on stage. The messaging was very clear. Golf was more important than this initiative. Exactly, exactly. We have to be so sensitive. It's a phrase I use all the time. What is the message we're sending by this particular action or lack of action? Because people read everything. You're right. It's all feedback. And I don't think it was a month before it got shut down in that case. You bring up your mother in Strategy 12. 
This is true. Um, which is wrap it up means cleaning up. So if you want to do a little sidebar on why you're bringing your, your mother up, but there's again, an important message beyond that in, in this particular strategy. Well, I always like to say, you know, if I went to someone else's house and I, I messed things up and then just left and didn't put it back the way it was, my mother would be appalled. You know, she'd have me by the ear kind of thing. Um, so I, I felt I was raised right in that way. Um, but I applied it to this particular topic because we need to be mindful of what we're leaving behind. <clears throat> and I've been in so many organizations where you walk the halls and you see evidence of old stuff. So how many organizations have at some point gone to the bulletin board and said, gee, we got memos up here from five years ago. Uh, we need to take down. And that's the reality. Um, I wandered through the halls of, of one of my clients and, um, found a post poster I had created for a major change that had occurred, you know, a year and a half before. And why is this here? No one sees it anymore. It's basically wallpaper. Um, so you were talking about everything is feedback. When we don't clean up, it sends a signal. When we're taking down things that represent the old way of doing things or what led up to the new ways, we're signaling that is past, it's over. Um, and these can be easily forgotten. Onboarding. So I've made a major change in the way we deliver our customer service or new technologies were used. In my onboarding, I'm not going to talk about the way things were. I'm going to talk about the way things are now. I'm going to talk about where we're going, how we're looking forward. That sends a clear signal to my new people coming in as this is the way that we work at this organization. These are the values that are now in place in which we want to be governed by. So again, everything's a signal. Clean up after your project has been done and make sure anything that remains is pointing forward, not backward. Jeff, so much more in Dancing with Disruption. We totally skipped several strategies and and we are going to have to wrap this up. Any key messages that, that you want to add to what we've already discussed? Yeah, one I'll share. I'm just, I'm fond of using it with uh, with leaders and that's to say, uh, the easiest thing to do in light of change is nothing. Now, that doesn't mean people will just stand still, but when they're uncertain, when they're not sure, I can expend the least amount of energy by just keep doing what I'm doing today. So we really have to work hard to give people a reason to move. And if they're not, again, it doesn't mean they're resisting us, but they need that reason. So easiest thing to do in the face of change is nothing. But our role as leaders is to move them beyond that. Jeff Skipper, international change leadership consultant, author of Dancing with Disruption. Thank you so much for this conversation. You're very welcome. It's been great. Thanks, Brian.